Uh, take out the handout sheet that was given to you at the front door and we can begin. Uh, we have a very small passage to study today. And it's coming out of First Peter and we're doing part four today. And I entitled today's message, Taking a Stand for Stepping Down. We're going to talk about the humility and the submission that Christ demonstrated to us. But I want to begin with a concept. I've noticed that certain... Wow, there goes my voice again. I've noticed... It's too early in the morning. I've noticed that there are certain personalities and styles of men and women that seem to really work excellent in different eras. For example, I've noticed that a lot of guys get heat... Uh, for being the quiet, tough guys. They're kind of the ones that are a bit brooding in the background and their wives are consistently going, why don't you ever talk to anyone, right? They're the guys that in the back, they're always kind of cool to look at and you go, wow, that's a nice, cool, quiet guy, but he doesn't really have any personality. And there's these guys and they get all this heat because they're going, listen, no, 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 I'm not going to sit there and flap my jaws like that guy up there. I'm not going to sit there and talk all the time. I'm just more quiet. And you know what? It's kind of a man's man, tough guy. And they really don't get a lot of credit in today's world. However, in the ancient world and in the region of the world called Sparta, you want one of those guys with you. When you are in warfare and you're using swords and you're hacking apart other people and you need someone to get your back, you don't want me standing there with you. What I will try to do is talk to them. Let's talk to the enemy. No, wait, I'm sure they'll understand. Now, what you want is these guys, the no-nonsense, tough guys that will just walk in and make sure that the job gets done. Then you have the intellectual men, who we call nerds. You have these guys who would much rather be in a book. They have no interest in other people, per se, because everyone else is stupid. Now, all the rest of us, we're interested in talking about a few things, but we're a bit practical. And, and these gentlemen or these ladies are more interested in thinking about some deep things, some lofty things, some things that are out of the ordinary. They're redesigning the world in their minds. For most of us, we discount them. But in the era of the Enlightenment, they were everything. They ran society. They were a huge deal. They were, it, through that whole era, some of which have shaped the very world that we live in now. They were willing to stretch their mind and to go places where the rest of the people weren't. If you are perhaps much more of a ground guy, let's say you want to work with your hands and you're very simple, you're strong, but the idea of going out and doing business with a bunch of intangible things don't work for you, and you're in a world now where there's very little farming. And you kind of feel out of sorts. You would have fit perfectly coming on over the Mayflower. When we need to start a brand new place of where we're going to live. We needed you there. Simply doing what you needed to do. You're perhaps the only one that would help us survive. 
because you're the one that knew the land. You're the one that would work hard. You were the one that was strong enough to make it. My purpose in thinking about all of this is that different personalities are really hailed as champions in different times, but they also struggle at different times. In modern day America, the rebellious have a really, really hard time living for the Lord. There are some of us that are built in a certain way to resist. That the rebel in us, the I'm going to be against something, I refuse to go with the flow. I will not just take what everyone tells me to do at face value. I will examine everything, and if there is an ounce of untruth in it, I will fight with everything in my fiber against that. Now that was very, very useful in the Reformation. That was very, very useful in revolutions. And without you, nothing would change. However, when there are times of relative peace, and you have that fire burning in your heart, it's really hard to be a believer. Because you have nowhere to channel it in your mind. And what it does is give you a critical spirit. What it does is feed in on itself because you have no great outlet. You begin to be angry at everyone and everything. You're always against something. I know that for me and running different organizations, I have to give you a challenge. And it's this, you can't always be against everything. It's so much easier to tear down than to build. It's really hard to build. But for you, as you spent all your energy internally, in your mind, resisting everybody else, talking about how all the organizations don't work and how everybody is foolish... I know you're against everything, but the fill in the blank today is for you. The fill in the blank is this. At some point, you have to be for something. At some point, you have to be for something. Not always against something. Not this whole idea of resisting every possible authority around you. That's not going to work. And it's not the way of living for a believer. If you do not find a proper way to channel it, it will harden your heart. Would you turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 13. Peter issues out a challenge which I always find very interesting when you know a little something about the author. Like Peter, he wasn't so hot at submitting to anything. And yet here he is now, much older, much wiser, reflecting back and talking to his people. And he said, I have a few things we need to talk about. Because all you little renegades and rebels like me, he says, we need to bring it under control. Because we're just not giving Christ a good name. 
And so he issues these challenges out. So let me just read uh, 13 through 15, then we'll pray for the word, and then we'll get started this morning. Peter said, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as a supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, thank you for letting us learn from you to drink from living water. To know that we are to follow your example and how you lived we ought to live. Help us, Lord, to find healthy avenues by which to channel all the strength that you've given us. Both men and women sit here before you, Lord, wondering, what about me? How ought you to use me, Lord? And you have wonderful plans for all of us. May we discover those in your name. Amen. So it begins with a very, very uncomfortable phrase for most of us. Submit yourselves. What does submit mean? Well, a lot of times, uh, this always comes into context with, context with wives, yeah? That seems to be the one area that everyone seems to be pretty comfortable with sharing as long as they're not in the company of women. Now, very few times is this passage cited which talks about submitting to all the authority that's over you. So it's intriguing that God gives a command to all believers to submit to authority, not just to women or wives. Now I want to be very careful on a few things. Number one is that when it's used in the context of women, we must understand it is in the context of wives not just women in general. Women just don't need to immediately submit to any given man. That doesn't work. That's not what it said. Now, we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, the Bible says. That is true. But understand that the context, if you're going to quote that, is with your husband. Now, why is that so? Now, part of it, I would imagine, is the curse, but part of that is the design the design is that God made the man the head of the home. And for a lot of ladies, that's an insult. But I can assure you, ladies, most men I know don't want this title. And I'll tell you why. The phrase submit means to go under the authority of another. It means to place yourself underneath the leadership of someone else. It means as a military term, to be outranked. You are outranked in your home by the husband. Gentlemen, do you know what this means? It means that whatever occurs in your home is your fault. It means that you will ultimately be held accountable for whatever occurs through your family. You go, well, I didn't do that, she did that. Doesn't matter. You're the senior ranking officer. Therefore, if you play this game of, well, she's going to handle the children. That's a big risk, my friend. 
I'm not sure you want to do that. Because guess who's going to be held accountable for how the kids are going? You. Gentlemen, when you are in God's economy, you are now a servant of your whole household. And when you are the leader of your house, you spend all your time empowering them. And you will be busted for what goes on. Ladies, the only way that is ever going to be fair to him or to work with that structure is for you to be a part of that. To be able to say, I'm checking in. Where are we at? Everything all right? Because quite frankly, I'm going to keep moving the direction I'm moving. But what do you think is going on with our family? And if he gives you one of these, uh, then I guess you got to keep going. But gentlemen, it is your role. And I know that a lot of guys don't like that. Well, a lot of women don't like their role either. We go to this, and in this context, it says, submit yourselves to the authorities that are given over you. That's another one we don't like. Why? Think of all the authority structures in your life, your boss. Do you respect your employer? Do you respect the foreman on your job? Do you respect your boss of any sort? Do you respect the governor? Do you respect your mayor? Do you respect your president? You go through and examine all these institutions, and some of those are going to be very difficult for you. But what did Jesus just say? He said, they wouldn't be there unless I allowed them to be there. Therefore, I need you to work with me here. Submit yourselves to them. Because I let them be there. Look at the next phrase. Submit yourselves. Why? For the Lord's sake. No matter who your authority is, they are not your ultimate authority. Your ultimate authority is always God. And really, you are respecting an office because God instituted the office. You're really respecting God when you respect an authority. I know you don't like them. I know you don't respect them. I know that they don't act the way that you want them to act. I get all that. I live in that world. But that's not an excuse. When you obey authority, you're truly obeying God. And that's why it matters. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. But I don't think that we're just supposed to obey them on the outside. I think we also are called to do more than that. We're called to own it on the inside. Even more than that, Jesus said, render to Caesar what is Caesar's. That means give your due credit. Real quick, it is not becoming to the Lord to cheat on your taxes. That's not acceptable. Not in the life of a believer. I know you can. But you should not. But it's more than just obeying. It's more than rendering to him what is due. The Bible also says that we are to pray for our leaders 
on a consistent basis. Are you doing that? I am not. The only time I tend to pray for leaders is when I stumble upon a passage like this and go, oh, that's right. Or when someone does a big prayer gathering and they begin to pray for the leaders, I need you to understand that whatever you think about the leadership of the government in this particular nation, they are real people with a tremendous amount of responsibility. And how wonderful would it be if they knew Jesus Christ? And how wonderful would it be if they led in his authority? Then why aren't we praying for them? It says, for it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence, the word is muzzle, the ignorant talk of foolish men. Christians were being slandered all the time in the early church because everyone in the world said that they were all about rebellion. They're turning people against their own families. They're fighting against the government structure and they became known as rebels and it was ruining the point of Christianity, the world wouldn't even look at them. They just go, you know what? All you are, are here to cause trouble. He said, that's not right. We're actually about much more than that, but they won't even listen to us because we're just known as being rebellious. Stop doing that. We have a much deeper message to give. We cannot always be known by what we're against. We cannot wander around the world and scream and yell in microphones to tell everybody all the things we hate. It flat out ruins any opportunity to minister and evangelize. So is this just a huge call for pacifism? Is that, is that the deal? It was, it was Jesus a wimp? Is that what we're talking about? What Paul's a doormat? You know, this whole idea of don't, don't stand up against authority, blah, 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 blah. No. None of those guys were pacifists. How do we know that? Paul's simple example, when he was whipped as a punishment for preaching the gospel, he turned around and looked them dead in the eye and said, I'm a Roman citizen. You just whipped the wrong guy. I demand that I have an opportunity to speak my peace in your justice system. He could have just sucked it up and walked away quietly. He did not. Not only that, but consider Jesus, how many times he was told by the religious leaders to be quiet, but he did not. Consider them trying to shut down John the Baptist, and he would turn and say, you brood of vipers. Consider all the disciples who were told, if you don't stop preaching the gospel, we will put you in jail or we will kill you. They said in Acts 4 and 5, we will obey God rather than man. These are not wimpy men. The humility and submission of Scripture is power harnessed. It is never weakness. What are you doing with the power that you have? You letting it fly off the hook all the time? You exploding out and talking about everything you hate? That's not the way of Jesus. Just a side note, a little weird challenge that popped into my mind, something for you to chew on. I don't know the answer to the question, so you'll have to think about this one. If you believe that America has fallen from being a Christian nation, 
to a secular nation. Let me ask you a question. Do you really want to win America back? Now, I'm assuming that most of you, because we're in church, are automatically going to think the answer is yes. So let me challenge you. If the Christian American led us to this, is that what you want back? Because in Asia, the church is purified and flourishing under persecution. Are you sure you're answering the question that you want America back so you can be free? Or do you want America back because it glorifies Jesus? Living in a country where 90% of the people say they're Christians but are not. I don't know if that honors Jesus any more than a persecuted society. My point is, where are our loyalties lying? Are they lying with us? Or are they lying in the glory of God? Just something to chew on. Verse 16. Live as free men. And indeed we are in Jesus, yeah? He who the Son sets free will be free indeed. We live under grace. We just celebrated communion where it talks about how free we really are. Free from our sins. Free from the law of sin and death. Free from all the fear of hell. Free from the fear of death. Yes, we have all this freedom. So indeed we are to live as free men. But do not, he said, use your freedom as a cover-up. That word is a veil. A cover-up for evil. No, you live as servants of God. Barclay said, we are not free to do what we want, but free to do what we ought. When you have all this freedom and you're walking around hurting everybody, that's not what it was for. God did not give you the right to then run around and make your weaker brother stumble. God did not give you the right to be free that you could run around and shove it in everybody else's face. He set us free that we might be able to love without worrying about condemnation. Are we using it for that reason? Or are we merely using it to get people to back off holding us accountable? Yeah? Don't judge me. I'm under grace. All right. Show proper respect, he says, to everyone. Why? Because they're made in God's image and Jesus Christ died for them. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. That's your brothers and sisters in Christ. Fear God, he said, which is to honor and respect with awe. And honor the king. He's quoting Proverbs twenty four twenty one. Now you go through all this and you go, yeah, 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 yeah. But Peter didn't know what leaders I have. Pause. You all remember who was emperor when Peter was alive? Nero, whatever leadership you have in your life, it's not as bad as Nero. Unless your particular boss kills Christians and burns them alive just for fun. And if that's the case, I'd switch jobs. (laughs) I'm sure that he's not, or she's not, a madman. That then runs around trying to seek chaos and debauchery and making everyone die for your pleasure. That was Nero. Now read the context. What did Peter just say? Honor that guy. Submit to that guy. What? 
The same man Peter died under. He lived this out to the end. And when he was killed, he did so in the honor of the Lord. That puts a big exclamation point on what he just said. Slaves, he goes on. And indeed, in Peter's day, there were over 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. Most were prisoners of war, brilliant people stolen from other nations, conquered, and they built Rome. Most of them would have wonderful lives if they had great masters. But make no mistake, no matter how great your master was in the eyes of Rome, even in the eyes of Greece, you were a thing. A property item. Aristotle, very famous man, said a slave is merely a living tool. The only difference between your slave and a screwdriver is one talks. That's it. However you want to use them is fine for you. Now I know that a lot of slaves maybe were loved on and treated like family. But if indeed someone bought into the idea that another person is property... Something bad's going to happen eventually. How do I know that? Because yesterday I went garage sailing with my kids. And garage sales are full of stuff that people bought with a lot of joy, loved them, and discarded them later. As long as people are debased in their thinking, you will treat them poorly. If you were a slave in that society, you were not allowed to get married. You could cohabit with someone, but any kids you had were the property of the master. Just like as if your cat had kittens, you owned them too. Now all of a sudden he gives this demand to people who are considered property. He said, slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect. Not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are... Our Bible says harsh. What a terrible translation. The word is scolios in Greek. You ever heard of that phrase before? Scoliosis. It means bent and crooked. Even to those who are corrupt, you respect them. How is that possible? Well, this is not just a pride problem. This is a confusion problem. Imagine that as you have a master who's treating you poorly, everything in your body wants to rise up and shut him down. Not only is that a natural human nature problem, but in an early church, the whole pot got stirred. Why? Because the church was largely made up of slaves. Why is that important? Because in the church, all men were equal. And you could have a master and a slave in the same congregation. And the slave would be in leadership. And the master would be in the congregation. When they walk into their fellowship, the slave was in charge. When they stepped out of the building, it reversed back to property. There's a confusion that was going on in the early church where all of a sudden the slave was going, hold on, buddy. I'm your boss at church. You know that. Don't you treat me like that. And there was role problems. But I need you to understand, let's make it practical in terms of you being, what, an employee. I have very little respect for Christian workers 
who take advantage of the fact that their boss is a Christian. It really irritates me. This whole, hey, we're brothers and sisters in the Lord. It's no big deal if I just take off a lot of time, right? Don't you dare take advantage because your boss is a believer. Christians should be the hardest working ones at their job. Why? Because you represent Jesus Christ. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he's conscious of God, meaning you stand up under it because you love God so much, you're respecting God. It's not so much about the person. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and then you endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you are called. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. This is a very cool word in Greek. It is the word that was used to train young children to write. They did a tracing method where you would have something and the little ones would trace it. Just like in kindergarten today, you trace over the letters and you learn how to write. Or there was a way where they would put it up top and you would copy it down below. We've all done this stuff in school. That word following exactly along is the word, for example, right here. Jesus Christ set this pattern out before you that if you want to know how to live, you trace over him. And you learn how to write. You learn how to live. To this you are called because Christ suffered for you, leaving an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. In other words, he was sinless, perfect, and if anybody had the right to stand up for his rights, it would have been Jesus. Yet, how did he act? When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself. That means to hand over to someone for them to keep. To him who judges justly. He handed his life over to his father and he said, whatever you want to do, let's do that. He himself, the Bible says, bore our sins in his body. Meaning taking the punishment that was due us. On the tree, the cross, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness, for by his scourging, that word wounds is a lash mark, by his scourging, you have been healed. Healed from what? Healed from your sin. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. The other day we were driving along. Actually it was yesterday on the way to church. I was driving my older daughter and she was reading scripture. And she was doing little devotions that they're handed here at Kids Way. And she said, what's it mean, the, what is the, the shepherd's psalm? She said, there's a 23 here. I said, that's. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. She opens it up and looks at it and she goes, oh, I like that one. 
there's something soothing to know that no matter whose authority over you, no matter how scary they are, you ultimately have a shepherd watching over you. But you don't just have a shepherd. You have an overseer. What's an overseer? In Greece, the overseers were the guardians of the city. They were the ones that would put the bad guys away and save the good guys. So what you've just heard is that God is our guardian, director, guide, and protector. And that is why you can be peaceful submitting to authority because they're not ultimately in charge. When God is done with them, they go bye-bye. I know it doesn't look like Jesus is on the throne sometimes. But he is. And how do you know he's king? Because when he issues a command, it happens every time. After I pray, we have something special for you this morning to close the service in a slightly different way. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for being the shepherd and guardian of our souls. That we hand our lives over to you and we will respect the authority structure that you've given us. Lord, we don't, that's not easy for us. We don't like that. We don't understand that all the time. Lord, they're not always good men and women. And indeed, Lord, you drew a line in the sand that if we're following you, we follow you first. But Lord, there's a lot of gray area. Give us the strength to live in a way that honors you. In Jesus' name, amen. I know, like, we really need more of me on camera. It's not like I'm not talking enough already. But what we're trying to do is kind of mix it up, do a few different things, and that's going to be closing each service, at least for a little while, with this idea of a challenge to you. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about kind of the theme, what the big picture is, so we can all get on the same page. Hear a little bit from you, literal interviews, with some of you to ask you the tough questions, see what you're thinking about this whole idea of servanthood. And then I'm going to come up afterwards and give us a closing challenge, something practical that we can do right after we leave here. When you go home, what are you going to do about what you learned? That's kind of the idea. Hi, my name's Ashley. I think that one of my giftings is teaching. This year I am serving and working in the Kidsway ministry. One way that I'd like to see us as a family at Bridgeway grow during this year of servanthood would be um, in encompassing Christianity all throughout the entire week, not just living it on Sunday and serving on Sunday, 
but truly living it throughout the entire week, throughout the entire year. One area I'm trying to grow in during this year of servanthood is um, having a better story. I do a lot of things and I serve in a lot of places, but I feel like I need to do what God's calling me to do and what my particular story is. So I'm trying to grow in that area and what He's calling me to do, not what I feel I should be doing. My name is Ashley and I'm Bridgeway. So how do you put submitting into practice? I mean, there's a, a lot of things that we're told to do, but you can't run out and go find one. So here's the challenge for this week. What I want you to do is have in mind that the next time somebody in authority asks you to do something that's legitimate, something that is within their bounds to ask you, and it's something okay with God, I want you to do it. I don't want you to second guess it. I don't want you to talk back about it. I want you to submit to it because every authority that we have here on earth, God allowed to be there. So what I want you to do this week is to picture what if God asked me to do it and then follow through. I hope you were challenged this week and remember if God's going to do something in this world, he's probably going to do it through you. I'll see you next week.